Welcome. Yeah, we're doing this. Okay, so today's video is about how our emotions influence our search for spiritual truths. And so I want to start uh, by bringing something up. A lot of times on the internet, when people are in the middle of an argument or someone is trying to prove their point, you're going to hear this phrase. And that phrase is, facts do not care about your feelings. Now, here's, here's the ironic part about this is because anyone who studies the brain or the mind or studies psychology, cognitive science, neuroscience will be the first to tell you that facts very much care about your feelings. And if someone doesn't care about your feelings, like not only do they not care about you as a person, but they also ironically just aren't equipped to find all the facts. Because emotions are the thing that facilitate how our brains code what we are learning. So like when you experience an emotion, right? You experience an emotion in a learning setting. So like a classroom or something you're reading or something you're listening to or a conversation you're having or a podcast. When you experience an emotion in one of those learning settings, your brain begins to move like a machine. And what that machine is doing, it is coding what you are learning. And that emotion, whatever emotion that you are, that, what, that you are experiencing will directly influence how you pay attention to what you're learning, how you perceive what you are learning, how you're going to remember what you are learning. And ultimately, it's going to, that emotion is going to influence your thoughts and feelings and behaviors. And so the clearest example that I have of my emotions influencing my search for spirituality and for academia uh, was there was a week where my, my pregnant wife, my wife who was pregnant at the time, began to have like really severe kidney pain and abdominal pain. And they weren't sure where it was coming from. And the problem was like any test that they could do to find out what was causing this pain could put our child at risk. And in the middle of that week, I was experiencing conflict at work that I've since realized was just straight up abusive. And I also, at the end of that week, needed to finish a project for school that, that made up a large part of my grade and what I in the class that I was taking. And so in the middle of all this, like the combination of all of this happening, I ended up in a place of anxiety and fear and self-doubt and just sadness. And I found hope in the weirdest place. I found hope in Vikra. And so Vikra is a book in the Torah. It's a, it's a book in the Torah. Um, Christians call it Leviticus. Uh, and I was studying it for research. And so the book breaks down like this. So the first part of the book is about five distinct types of sacrifices. And then it goes on to structure. It goes on to structuring for the tribe's priests. And then after that, you get instructions for how to be ceremonial, clean and unclean. And then it covers an event called the Day of Atonement. And then finally, the book ends with, how do we live this book out? What, is the, what are the implications of this for our tribe? And it sounds so strange, but as I was reading this book, I got to just this 
this random section in the middle of it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read that. Uh, and, and so what it said was, you must not steal nor deceive nor lie to each other. You must not swear falsely by my name, desecrating Adonai's name in doing so, for I am Yahweh. You must not oppress your neighbors or rob them. Do not withhold a hired laborer's pay overnight. You must not insult a deaf person or put some obstacle in front of a blind person that would cause them to trip. Instead, fear Yahweh. I am Yahweh. You must not act unjustly in a legal case. Do not show favoritism to the poor or deference to the great. You must judge your fellow Israelites fairly. Do not go around slandering your people. Do not stand by while your neighbor's blood is shed. I am Yahweh. You must not hate your fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your fellow Israelite strongly so you don't become responsible for his sin. You must not take revenge nor hold a grudge against any of your people. Instead, love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. And it seems like there's a lot of, like, there, okay, there's some beauty in this, for sure. Like, there's some inerrant beauty. Like, anytime we hear the word love, like, that's going to elicit, uh, that's going to elicit some responses. But it really is just kind of a summary of some of the things happening in this section of Vaikra. But I found myself crying. I found myself crying as I read this particular section because as strange as it sounds, I desperately needed hope and I found it in this book. My despair for a moment allowed me to see that the deep question of this book is how do we interact with this world in a way that honors and sees the beauty in the world and in others. This book was about a proper relationship with the world. This book was about the ground around us. This book was about uh, the rivers. This book was about how do we deal with the strangers? This book asked us the question, should we build walls? What do we do with immigrants? How do we begin to see them as people? Like this book began to challenge, like, what do we do with other faith traditions? Like if we have a lack of faith, how do we embrace the faith around us? I mean, this, this book was about restoring the world. And I found hope in that. Like I found hope in this book. This book challenged any belief that we had that oppressed other people that oppressed any marginalized group and forced us to confront our own cultural biases and lean into honoring and loving the stranger. I found that in this book, like you might not have heard it when I was saying that, but my emotions allowed me to see that deeper question of how do we interact with all people in this world in a way that honors and sees the beauty in them. And so your emotions matter. Facts care about your emotions. I care about your emotions. Your emotions matter and you will need those emotions as you seek out truth. You will need those emotions in your learning experiences that are happening around you. So this morning I came down to film this video and I saw that my friend Derek was hosting a clubhouse. So I, I jumped on in it. And in this clubhouse was, was my new friend, Dr. Katie Blake. 
Uh, she is amazing. I'm going to put her website in the description. So please check it out. Please give her a follow on social media. Um, but we had a brief conversation about emotions, changing beliefs, and human connection. And I, I was asking her a series of questions. And so I, one of the things I asked her was like, how do we invite others into the conversation in a way that doesn't self set up unhealthy mobs or, or camps? And she gave several amazing suggestions. But one thing that she recommended uh, that, that allows us to experience our emotions deeper is mindfulness. So, so, so uh, mindfulness is, is the act of, of, of sitting still, right? Like it's the act of, of sitting in silence and allowing and being attentive to what is happening around us and within us but in a non-judgmental state. And so I'm going to alter my conclusion of the video to recommend that this week we all set aside 10 minutes of the day to silently and intentionally sit with our emotions. Let's see what comes to us as we embrace our emotions and not judge our emotions. Anyways, thank you so much for watching this video. I'm so excited you were here. Make sure you check out uh, my friend, Dr. Katie Blake's website, uh, and I will see you next week.